What is up, guys, and welcome into the Blake Pace Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Blake Pace. Hope you guys are having a good Wednesday, getting through that middle point of the week. We are just days away from the weekend. I know I'm certainly looking forward to it. I hope you all are as well. Um, yeah, so we got a few things planned on today. And of course, you know, we're going to start off, as always, uh, with my favorite number sevens. This is episode number seven of the Blake Pace Podcast. Um, the NBA Finals are set and um, kicking off tomorrow on Thursday, May 31st. Um, so we have a few different things I'm going to talk about around those. And I'm also going to just start, you know, throwing in um, just a few top five categories um, in the NFL. You know, we're kind of in that dead period of um, NFL stories and stuff to talk about in that time. So uh, later on in this episode, stay tuned to figure out uh, who my top five quarterbacks in the league are um, going into next season. But of course, as always, we will start off with my player profile for number seven. We're going to take you back to the 2012-2013 NBA season, where my first uh, love in the game of basketball put up 28.7 points per game, won the scoring title that year, appeared in 67 games, shot uh, almost 38% from three. Uh, Let's see, what are some of his other numbers that season? Uh, Seven rebounds, two and a half assists, uh, shot 45% from the field. Uh, the great Carmelo Anthony, um, or at least the once great. I'd like to think he was the once, once the great. Um, of course, you know, I've been admiring Carmelo since my, his Syracuse days. Um, it is by far, you know, my first love in the game of basketball, why I became a basketball fan. Um, in, you know, the NBA was because of Carmelo Anthony. Um, it meant the world when uh, he was, you know, traded to the New York Knicks or kind of forced his way into New York, um, you know, of course, would have loved to have seen um, more success, uh, you know, have, you know, better results. There were a few good seasons, you know, Carmelo, you know, battled with injuries, um, just as every traded or big signing free agent um, that comes to New York, you know, falls through with, um, you know, Amari Stoudemire and Carmelo, just to name, you know, the two most recent, um, Joe Kim Noah is all, we can't forget that. Um, but you know, Melo had some tremendous years. Um, of course, you know, in Oklahoma city right now, 33 years old, his first year since, uh, 2008, 2009, that he wasn't an all-star. Um, of course it's damn near impossible as a role player to be an all-star in, uh, the West. Um, but you know, it's unfortunate to see what Carmelo Anthony has become. The NBA has kind of transitioned away from his game. You look at the Rockets and all the analytics, it's you shoot three-pointers and layups to win basketball games. That's the effective way. And Melo's a good three-point shooter, um, you know, career around 35%. But, you know, it's gotten away from that mid-range game, and that's where Carmelo was so lethal. And that's why I feel like, you know, he's kind of fallen off the radar over the last few years. And, you know, specifically this past season where he averaged, you know, 16 points and um, only shot 40% from the field. The game has kind of, you know, fallen away from Carmelo, but still... You know, an all-time great, a Hall of Fame talent, um, one of the best scorers of, you know, the early 2000s, um, you know, since, you know, he came into the league. Um, definitely a Hall of Famer, and especially just because, you know, it's no, it's it's not an NBA Hall of Fame. It's the Basketball Hall of Fame. And, you know, he's got the Olympic gold medals, uh, national championship at Syracuse. Of course, never had the success um, in the NBA, made it to a conference finals once, but... Um, Definitely 
one of my favorites um, and definitely my focus for episode number seven. Some other guys switching to, you know, off of the NBA court, um, you know, props to my guy, Colin Kaepernick. Um, you know, like I said, Players Podcast, you know, I've got all the love and support towards Colin Kaepernick and what he is trying to do. I hope he can someday find his way back into the NFL after, you know, only getting really a five-year stint before being outed by the NFL. Um, he definitely had some decent years um, with the 49ers, uh, went to a Super Bowl, um, you know, another number seven in there. But of course, you know, also can't forget Big Ben Roethlisberger, um, the, you know, two-time Super Bowl champion, six-time Pro Bowler, has career, you know, over 51,000 yards on his career, um, you know, completion percentage around 641 Let's see, how many total touchdowns do we have? He's got averaging, you know, on his career, 255 passing yards a game, which is tremendous. Um, you know, more specifically, his 2015 season, um, where he did start in 11 games and threw for 328.2 yards a game. Um, that was a tremendous season. You can't forget his 2014 season, where he almost threw for 5,000 yards, 4,952. Um, all-time touchdowns, he's got thir- 329 touchdowns. Um, certainly, you know, over the last 10 years or, you know, the last 14 years, um, one of the best quarterbacks consistently in the NFL, um, two Super Bowl champions, uh, championships to prove it. Um, definitely a hall of fame talent and, uh, you know, another guy wearing that number seven. And, and, you know, this may be one of the two times I will do this, but we are going to switch to soccer for my last number seven. Um, the great Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest to ever play the game of soccer, um, I've got right here 423 goals in 408 appearances um, for, you know, Real Madrid and Portugal, um, you know, 117 assists, you know, undoubtedly, you know, one of the faces of, you know, professional soccer over, you know, the last decade. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to bring up, I can't promise you um, if you're a soccer fan that I'm going to bring up much soccer. If Also, if you're a soccer fan, I don't necessarily get why you're listening uh, to this show, but... Um, you know, I will throw Ronaldo in there because he is undoubtedly one of the greatest to wear that number seven and uh, wear it with pride, too. So the NBA finals are set finally. Um, and, you know, to no one's surprise, um, you know, we are matched up with the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers for the fourth year in a row. Um, you know, I will say the journey to this matchup um, this season, this postseason, was far more interesting than, you know, the, the years before. Um, I believe Cleveland and Golden State last year before getting to the finals lost one game combined before, um, you know, their five-game series. But in this year, um, you know, Golden State went five with San Antonio. Uh, Cleveland went seven with Indiana and then of course in both conference finals they both went to seven games so um we all knew or we all should have known um how this year was going to play out in the world of basketball but I do have to say it was far more enjoyable um than what you know at least I thought the process was going to be um I thought it was going to be more of what you saw last year where both teams kind of just sweep through the playoffs you know meet up with each other And, you know, we have this clash for the fourth year in a row because, you know, some teams made moves to become, you know, future powerhouses in the NBA. 
But at the same time, you are dealing with um, all-time talents, the greatest team ever assembled in Golden State Warriors, who I believe is the most, and then on the other side, the most talented player, most talented basketball player of all time, in my opinion, LeBron James. Um, And I didn't think that any of these teams would be ready to challenge such greatness, but I believe that the NBA is in a really great place because of this, and this postseason will only begin to highlight um, where the league is going. You know, I think that even next year, there'll be more parity in the league. You know, some other teams will rise to fame. Of course, you know, LeBron may be on the move and that, you know, instantly boosted another franchise to uh, title contention. Boston will be getting back its two greatest stars. You could see Paul George on the move. You could see DeMarcus Cousins on the move. Chris Paul could be on the move. And then all of a sudden, what happens with Houston? You know, (laughs) it won't happen, but Kevin Durant could be a free agent this offseason. There's so many different things um, that can only, you know, make next season um, more entertaining but of course, at the end of the day, probably next year, as long as Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green are on the Golden State Warriors, we can essentially peg them to be in the NBA Finals. Um, of course, if LeBron is in the East, you know, I like his odds to make it even more so. Um, but the NBA is certainly in a much better place because you have teams on the rise. Philadelphia, Boston, uh, you know, you're looking out West, Houston, of course, if they can, you know, keep Chris Paul, maybe add in some more pieces. They are always, you know, they were one game away um, twice. You know, you've got the Thunder. <clears throat> you know, if they bring back Paul George or maybe add some other pieces, um, the Timberwolves could be on the rise with their younger players developing even developing more. The Lakers, if they want to make some big-time moves, could, you know, certainly upgrade themselves. You know, the Pelicans, Anthony Davis, if they can get some better wing help, um, they're going to be on the rise. And, you know, <laughs> the New York Knicks. That was a little uh, dry humor for you guys. Um, Kind of just, uh, you know, a little depressing to think about the New York Knicks right now. Um, Anyways, uh, so, you know, the league, people always want to criticize the NBA and say that these super teams, um, which, you know, in reality, there's one super team, there's Golden State, and there's the Cavaliers, but they have LeBron. And that's the only reason they can be considered, I guess, a super team. Um... But people have been complaining for years, saying that these super teams are bad for the league. And I've always thought that that was such a ridiculous claim because when in NBA history can you recall the the best player in basketball playing against the second and third best player in basketball and considerably, you know, two other players that are in the top 20 um, when Kyrie Irving was, you know, with the Cavaliers and Kevin Love was playing better, you had essentially four other players in the top 20. So then you've got, you know, a total of seven guys of the top 20 players in the league playing in the championship against each other. There has never been a more star-driven finals um, than what you saw. It was essentially like an all-star game, but you get a championship on the line at the end and they play, you know, more defense and a lot more seriously. So, you know, I've never understood why people can't just enjoy the moment. Maybe it's because their team isn't Golden State or the Cavs and they just have to watch these two teams win all the time. Well, I'm sorry. It's very rare that your franchise is going to be successful. I mean, I've been a Knicks fan um, for most of my life and they have, you know, never been successful. They were a two seed at best one year, but I don't care because at the end of the day, I love the game of basketball so much. I just want to watch the best players and the best teams competing for an NBA championship. And it shouldn't matter that it's the two same teams every year because you're going to get a great finals. Now, 
Of course, this year the situation is a little different. The situation was different last year as well. This Cavs team, you know, is going to have a really tough time matching up with Golden State, who has the second best player in the world in Kevin Durant, the third best player in the world, Steph Curry, you know, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, who are both top 20 players, and a great minded coach um, like Steve Kerr. You know, this team is the greatest team ever assembled in league history. Um, so, of course, now with LeBron, that he doesn't have Kyrie, Kevin Love, you know, isn't healthy. And the rest of his team, you know, they don't average over 10 points a game. It's going to be, you know, a lopsided finals. But you're still getting the three best players in the NBA against each other. And, you know, we might not see something like this ever again. So I believe that, you know, we all need to take a collective appreciation for what is happening in the NBA finals. Because, you know, if you look back before LeBron James went on this long streak to the finals, going back to specifically, you know, 2009 and before, here's how far each, you know, NBA finals went. So in 2009, the Lakers played the Magic, Lakers won in five. Year before that, Celtics beat the Lakers in six. But the year before that, Spurs, of course, beat the Cavs for nothing. Uh, Heat in 2006 beat the Mavs four to two. 2004, uh, the Pistons beat the Lakers four to one. Uh, 2002, Lakers beat the Nets 4-0. Lakers beat the 76ers in 2001, 4-1. 1999, the Spurs beat the Knicks 4-1. That burdens a little. Um, Houston Rockets, 1995, beat the Magic 4-0. We have gotten to enjoy some all-time great series of basketball because of the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, <clears throat> I get it, last year's wasn't great, 4-1. Pretty easy series for the Warriors. But the year before that, there was the seven-game series. The year before that, you know, LeBron James, without Kyrie Irving, without Kevin Love, forced the Warriors to six games and, you know, was you know got four votes to be the MVP on a losing team. Of course, this year, and I'll give you my prediction later in this episode, you know, this isn't going to be a great finals. This isn't going to be one to remember. Um, and, it, you know, it seems pretty favorably in one direction. But, you know, we've just gotten to enjoy four great years of championship basketball with some of the best players to, you know, not only play against each other in recent history, but like some of the, you know, all-time greats or guys who will go down as all-time greats. So, you know, that's my first thing to think about when I look at this finals for the fourth in a row, because in my opinion, this is the last time we'll see the Cavaliers and the Warriors in the finals together. Um, You know, I think LeBron chooses to leave Cleveland at the end of the day. But, you know, if he does, of course, that might change how things work out. But, you know, if he does choose to leave, we won't get to see this Cavs-Warriors matchup, you know, anytime in the foreseeable future. So I think we just have to appreciate what we have gotten over the last now four years from these two teams and respect that. You know, this will be you know, this will go down in history as one of the, you know, all-time great rivalries. And yes, you know, the Warriors will have, you know, the three-to-one advantage on the Cavs and LeBron, but it's the first time ever in any professional sport that you've gotten the same championship matchup four times in a row. And that's a remarkable feat that two teams have remained so successful and so pure for four years in a row where no one in their respective conferences could take them down. That's dominance. And I don't understand why you can you can be mad about it that your team isn't winning or there's not enough parity in the league, but these are the best players 
in the game right now, battling it out against each other for the championship, and I don't think anything gets better than that. So that's, you know, my opening thoughts on this finals. And now, you know, going more into specifics for the finals. Of course, at the end of this segment, I will give, you know, my prediction on how this series will unfold um, and, you know, how many games I believe who I think will be victorious. Um, but I'm also going to provide to you my pick for uh, NBA Finals MVP, um, you know, and then we're going to look more specifically at the Cavaliers, break them down, who I think, you know, needs to step up the most for them um, to make this a competitive series. And then also, you know, this was a fun thing to just think about is, you know, what LeBron James um, has to do to win a championship um, against this Golden State Warriors team, what he'd have to average in the finals. Um, because, you know, we've seen some remarkable numbers from him in this postseason. If he wants to move on and win a championship, it's going to take a lot more than what we've already seen. So it's fun to kind of just project what would be enough to get LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers to become the NBA champions. So first off, um, looking just at this Cavaliers roster, um, I was kind of just going to start things off with who needs to step up the most, um, not name LeBron James, so that the Cleveland Cavaliers have a shot to win this NBA championship. Um, and, you know, I'm looking at the roster, and there's just so many issues with this team. Um, they have... On this roster, um, two players that have a positive defensive box plus minus, and that is LeBron, of course, um, leading the team at 2.0, and Larry Nance at 1.7. Besides that, you know, everyone on this team is in the negative. You know, you look at George Hill, he's, you know, of the guys still on the team, um, the third best at negative 0.6. Tristan Thompson is eighth at negative 0.9. J.R. Smith, negative 1. Um... Let's see, Kevin Love, negative 1.5, Jeff Green, negative 1.7, Kyle Korver, negative 2, Jose Calderon, negative 2, Rodney Hood, negative 2.3. Um, the worst is Jordan Clarkson at a negative 3.5. So before I even just get started on who specifically needs to up their game, um, this entire team needs to step up defensively. Um, at the end of the regular season, they were the 29th ranked defense in the NBA. How? How is the 29th ranked defense still in um, contention for an NBA championship? That is abysmal. And I feel like that should show you, you know, give you some credit towards uh, LeBron James and what he's been able to do. Because like I said, he's only, you know, one of two guys on this team right now that is uh, in the positive, in the green for defensive box plus minus. Um, so as a whole, the team needs to step up defensively. And, I, you know, I will say, you know, they have improved or stepped up defensively, as all NBA teams do when it gets to the playoffs. Um, specifically in the playoffs, you know, a lot more of their guys are in the positive, but still are like, you know, 0.6 or below. You know, the only two guys um, above 0.6 are LeBron and Larry Nance. Um, Larry Nance actually has been, you know, the best defensive um, or the best has the best rating in defensive box plus minus this postseason at 5.1, um, LeBron James at 4.1, but then there's a huge drop off to 0.6 where you've got Jeff Green, Jetty Osman, who doesn't play, um, Tristan Thompson at 0.5, and then you go down all the way the list, you still have Jordan Clarkson negative 1.9, Kyle Korver negative 0.3, George Hill negative 0.1, those are all guys that are getting significant minutes um, and definitely still need to step up individually. 
now, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, um, and, you know, I'm still going to look at, you know, offensive box plus minus because, you know, this is the advanced statistic, I guess, that I truly believe is a, a, a pure sign as to, you know, who needs to step up on offense, who needs to step on a defense, their entire game in general. Um, LeBron James has a 10.6 offensive box plus minus uh, this postseason. That is remarkable. The next highest for the Cavs, 2.1 Kyle Korver. And then there's a drop-off. The only other guy that is still positive um, is point, uh, at 0.5 is Larry Nance. Then, you know, you get as low as uh, Jordan Clarkson, negative 7.0. Rodney Hood, negative 5.2. Jose Calderon, negative 4. Kevin Love, negative 3.2. A guy that's supposed to be your number two offensive threat. Um, J.R. Smith, negative 1.9. He's supposed to be your three-point shooter, your guy. Um, like I said, Cal Corver is still in the positive at 2.1, so at least you're getting some offensive stuff from him. But he's also, you know, negative and defensive box plus minus. This team shouldn't be in the NBA Finals. You know, they 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 survived Indiana um, in the seven-game series, you know, a very tough seven-game series. They survived Boston remarkably, um, you know, getting down 0-2, fighting back all the way to force game seven and win that. This team shouldn't be here, and these, these numbers even prove it um, even more so. There are only, let's see, there are four guys on this roster that are in the positive um, in box plus minus, and that's LeBron at, once again, a staggering 14.7, then a huge drop-off to Larry Nance at 5.6, Kyle Korver at 1.8, and Tristan Thompson barely at 0.4. Um, and it gets as low as Jordan Clarkson, negative 8.9. And, you know, you've seen him, his minutes lessen through this postseason because it has been so horrendous. Um, so that's just looking as a team, you know, that's just diving into the numbers perspective of how bad this team is outside of, you know, what seems to be Larry Nance and LeBron James. Um, you know, you would have hoped Larry Nance would have been maybe your sixth option on this team, um, but he has been, you know, the second most reliable guy behind LeBron this postseason um, in that statistical category. That isn't a recipe for success, I'll be honest with you. Um, but now looking into guys who, more specifically, um, in my opinion, need to step up, to me it starts with uh, J.R. Smith, um, who, you know, if I'm looking at box plus minus at a negative 1.6, certainly not one of the worst on the team, but, you know, certainly in the negative as a guy who's your starter, your starting two guard, um, you know, supposed to be one of your more, more reliant shooters in the league. Um, he's, you know, fallen off over the past few years, and it's really hurt this Cavs team because he also has a pretty hefty contract. Um, his true uh, shooting percentage um, a measure of shooting efficiency that takes, you know, into account two point field goals, free throws and three point shots. He is eighth on the team at, um, 49.8%. You know, that is below Jeff Green, Tristan Thompson, um, Kevin Love, even George Hill, uh, and barely ahead of Rodney Hood, who also along with Jordan Clarkson has been, you know, one of the more disappointing guys, um, after being brought into this roster. But, um, Jared Smith definitely needs to step up um, in that aspect. Um, defensively is, you know, it's going to be tough in this finals because he's going to be assigned to guard, you know, Steph or, um, why can't I remember, Clay Thompson, uh, you know, two of the best shooters in NBA history. Um, 
So JR really needs, it, it, it just seems to be a lack of effort. I'm not sure if it's, you know, a drop off in talent. He is getting older. He's 32 years old. Certainly not the oldest guy on this team, um, but he's getting up there in age. Maybe he just lost a step, but it's been such a steep drop off that it makes me just believe that it's effort and just solely based on effort, which is a concern to me because, you know, I don't want a guy starting, you know, to be in my starting five, a guy that I need to rely on who's just not putting in the effort. Um, it seems like he's gotten lazy with it, um, no longer has the desire to try and win. Um, so he, in my opinion, really needs to step it up, um, you know, in this playoffs is, uh, shooting 35.6% from the field and it doesn't get much better from three where he's shooting 36.8, um, you know, averaging 8.5 points a game. You need more from your starters, um, specifically JR, a guy who, you know, is a much better shooter than, you know, most of the guys on the roster when he's, you know, hitting his shots, of course, you know, he had kind of like, you know, half a good game. I believe it was game six um, of the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, if I'm wrong, it was somewhere in that series with Boston where you got maybe like a half of good J.R. Uh, Smith shooting. But at other times, it, it, it for the most of this postseason and most of this year specifically, um, it has not looked good. And, you know, that kind of even carries over um, to my next guy that really needs to step up, in my opinion, that's Tristan Thompson. Um, to me, you know, watching the finals last year, the Warriors, as good of a three-point shooting team as they are, they got anything they wanted inside the paint. Um, you know, Kevin Durant could attack the rim, get his easy layups or dunks. Steph Curry, you know, one of the best, you know, shot creators inside the paint for an undersized guard. He was, you know, getting there in there at will. Um you know, every basket that the Golden State Warriors just wanted to get inside the paint, um, they got it with ease. And you really need Tristan Thompson to step up defensively. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I've given up on him trying to, you know, give you something offensively. He's averaging six points a game, but he's averaging the same amount of rebounds a game, which is certainly something um, you don't want to happen when your starting center is averaging six rebounds and you've meanwhile got, um, you know, LeBron James averaging nine, uh, just over nine. You've got Kevin Love averaging 10. Your starting center, your rim protector for this team needs to, you know, be a ball hog on the, on the glass. You know, he's not blocking. Um, he, he actually isn't blocking at all. He's got, you know, 0.3 blocks a game this postseason. Um, and then, you know, defensively, like we were talking about in the defensive box plus minus, you know, he is fifth on the team and he is, slightly in the positive at 0.5, but you need more from your starters, especially when the rest of your team is so horrendous on defense and Golden State, you know, in my opinion, should have an easier time getting in the paint specifically, you know, with Kevin Love having even more of a down year, he's a little banged up. Um, and this team being so much worse defensively, Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, those two um, need to step up specifically and also, you know, more just because you guys got paid by Cleveland, um, thanks to, you know, your contributions to the team two years ago when they won their first finals, of course, the year before, um, when they, you know, took Golden State to seven after, you know, losing or took Golden State to six after losing uh, Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving in their first year. Um, you both received great contracts. You are paid uh, NBA talents. 
You need to put your money where your mouth is. You need to step up for this Cavaliers team because, in my opinion, they don't have a shot. If someone, you know, not named LeBron or Kevin Love steps up, those two, as guys who have been with this Cavs team for a few years now, I'm not, I'm not relying on these newcomers to really, you know, change the outcome of this series. You know, aside from Larry Nance being good defensively, Jordan Clarkson and Rodney Hood have been horrendous. Uh, George Hill has been shaky at times and is also a little banged up earlier in the postseason. I am putting my faith into the Cavaliers who have been here years before, who were there on the championship team. They specifically need to step up. Um, and if they don't, you know, it, it would get even worse for Cleveland, you know, as bad as it already is. Moving on now to something that I thought was just fun to entertain. Um, you know, I, I told you I'd save my, you know, my scorer series prediction um, for the end of this segment, but I'm sure by the way I'm speaking, you can already tell um, how I feel about how this series will go. Of course, it just seems the overwhelming favorite is the Warriors, and I would expect nothing less for them to win. Um, but I, I put out a poll on Twitter today, earlier this morning, and it, the the question was, what would LeBron James have to average in this series for him to pull off a finals victory over this Golden State Warriors team? The first option was a 35-point triple-double, you know, averaging um, 11 assists, 10 rebounds. The next was uh, 40 points, um, 10 assists, 8 rebounds, and then going even further, a 45-point, uh, 9-rebound, 8-assist kind of range. Um, you know, of course, you know, a 45-point it's getting close essentially to a 45 point triple double, but you know, I believe if you're scoring that much, it'll be tougher to get the assist range. And then the fourth and final option was nothing. Um, you know, no statistical outbursts from LeBron would cause a series win. And, uh, you know, it, it went the way that I thought, you know, when I thought about what it would take for LeBron, um, 42% of, uh, voters on this poll picked the the near 45 point triple double, um, second place was the 40 point, uh, 10 assists, eight rebounds. And then, uh, third place was nothing will do it. Um, so, you know, you can definitely see what it would take for LeBron James to pull off this upset. I'll be honest. If, if LeBron even averages a 40 point close to triple double in this finals, uh, he's gotta, it, he's gotta be finals MVP in my opinion. Um, and I know we said this a couple years ago when he didn't have Kyrie or Kevin Love, and you know he took Golden State to six games. Of course, that was um, before Kevin Durant was there. Um, but you know, I I thought that he should have been Finals MVP um, just because you know of how amazing he was in that series and how he made you know such a piss poor team competitive with what was becoming one of the greatest teams ever assembled. Um, and of course, you know, it went to Andre Iguodala more specifically just because he was the guy who guarded LeBron. But, you know, LeBron still tore it apart in that um, final series. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was nice to see Iggy get that award. But, you know, it was simply because LeBron James is on the losing team. Um, but he was so dominant that it was whoever was defending him. But I, I, I'm saying here, if LeBron comes out and he averages around 40 points, you know, give it that 39 to 41 range, gets about nine and a half assists, and maybe around eight rebounds. You know, he's he's got to be the MVP, especially when it's against a team that has four guys 
that could be your MVP. You know, five if Iguodala is healthy. Um, of course, he doesn't have the offensive ability anymore, and you know his legs are getting a little bit older on him. But you know, he's still you know a former Finals MVP, um, really an anchor on the defense for this team. But you know, in a series where you've got you know Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. I don't believe any of those guys can be considered most valuable for the finals. I think that it is such a collective effort between the four of them that there's not one specific individual that is the cause for it. And of course, um, you know, last year it was given to Kevin Durant because he, I believe he averaged over 30 in the finals, you know, a great feat. Um, Of course, you know, you know, a great culmination for Kevin Durant to get his final, uh, his first championship, first finals MVP, Um, definitely a great postseason for him. But if I'm a voter, and I'm not, I'm not there yet, I'm not that famous in case you guys didn't know that, I'm not, you know, critically acclaimed journalist yet, but if I was, I look at this finals and I say, wow, this Cavaliers team is here with LeBron James, Kevin Love is hurt, and no one averages over 10 points a game. You know, only a handful are barely above in the positive for you know defensive box plus minus box or um you know box plus minus and they made it to the finals against you know a highly competitive Cavaliers team or Celtics team um of course they played the number one seed in the east in Toronto and then the series before that they went to seven games with Indiana and you know I'm not saying you know if it's a if it's a clean sweep it's tough to give the MVP to a guy who, you know, let his team get swept, no matter how good he was. But if even if the Cavs win one game, in my opinion, and LeBron is putting up around a 40-point triple-double, that is one of the more um, insane statistical outputs by an NBA player in NBA history, and something that I feel like would be frowned upon if he wasn't, you know, recognized for it. And I feel like the Finals MVP would be, you know, a miraculous um, recognition. Of course, he won't want to accept that. Um, you know, I don't believe that there would want to be a, you know, there'd want to be a big ceremony for LeBron winning finals MVP. Um, you know, especially after losing the finals in such a hard year for what the Cavs went through. But I believe that at a certain point, um, we have to give a certain respect to what he did this season. And it kind of, it kind of also interact, it goes with the fact that, the the regular season MVP award has kind of really fallen apart from what it should mean, and I feel like it ever it started ever since Derrick Rose was given MVP. It kind of just it goes to you know whatever one guy has you know his first flashy season of his NBA career. You know it was Russell Westbrook's triple double. Oh, so you know a great year for Russ. You know, and uh, let's give him the MVP. You know this year it'll be James Harden because people thought that he should have had it last year, and then he you know had an even better year this year. Um, some would say, you know, Derek Rose, you know, oh, 21 years old, I believe. And, you know, he put up those kind of numbers for, you know, a winning Chicago Bulls team MVP. LeBron James is the MVP of the NBA for the last decade or close to it. There has not been a guy who has meant more to a specific, the success of a specific team over the last decade than LeBron James has meant to the Cavs or, you know, kind of the heat, um, you know, in some of their early days as well. LeBron doesn't get the MVP award because it come it becomes stale at a certain point. It, you know, and it's funny 
you know, we talk about the finals getting stale, but the MVP award, if you consistently give it to the guy who is actually the most valuable player in the league, aka, you know, the, the best player in the NBA, then it becomes stale. And the, the award, I guess, is less captivating to fans. Oh, of course, LeBron won it again. Oh, look at that, LeBron, MVP again. He is. You know, as annoying as it is to kind of see one team, you know, win all the time. Of course, you know, people hate on Golden State for consistently, you know, what it's going to be them consistently winning championships. <clears throat> there is a certain greatness to it. And there's a reason that they get that, uh, you know, acclamation. And LeBron James, if this MVP award still followed the way it should, would have been the MVP for, you know, the last eight years. Um, so I believe that, you know, taking, you know, if he continues um, in the finals, what he has done in the playoffs to get this Cavaliers team to the finals. Um, and I'm saying, you know, if they win a single game, um, LeBron James should be the finals MVP. Um, and listen, do I think if he does a 40 point triple double, if he averages that for the finals, do I think that that gets him, you know, a championship that's even pushing it. Because you need to rely on your team to outscore you still. And, you know, LeBron has spent, you know, this postseason outscoring his starters multiple times. Um, you know, I already highlighted how I think Tristan Thompson and Jarrett Smith really need to step up. Um, you know, the entire team does as well. Oh, man, if he if he pushed it to 45 and he's averaging 45 and he's, you know, getting nine assists, then I think things go in a better direction for Cleveland, and it's a closer series. Um, maybe something that goes six games. Of course, you know, if it gets lower to, you know, maybe the high 30s, um, it, I think it'll fall the way of, you know, a five-game series. But still, around that output from LeBron needs to be recognized as something that is, you know, remarkable with what he's been able to do with his team, and definitely he should deserve the MVP award for that. And now, of course, on to my prediction. Um, I know I just went and said all of that. You know, if LeBron does this, he gets finals MVP. If, you know, it's a, a five-game series, pushes it six, definitely. I don't see Cleveland being able to win um, a single game in this series. You know, I truly believe that the Cavaliers will get swept. I, I'm sticking um, that Golden State will sweep the Cleveland Cavaliers for nothing. Um there are some concerns on Golden State, you know, it, it doesn't seem that they lose interest, but they kind of lose focus, um, and you know, maybe for a game, or maybe a game, they slip up at best, um, you know, it was funny, before the uh, Cavs-Celtics series, I had said, um, you know, the Cavs are going to win in six, and the two wins that Boston is going to get off of is a great Brad Stevens Co uh, game plan, <clears throat> and then the other is a poor shooting night from Cleveland. We've had poor nights from poor shooting nights from Cleveland all year, all postseason. So far, to the point where I don't even believe a good shooting night is possible from this team, and that would be maybe the one win that I would give Cleveland in this series is a great shooting night, and Golden State slips up on their focus a little. I think that would come specifically in Game Three. Um, I think that's the most likely opportunity for Cleveland to steal a game. Um, but I don't think that, uh, you know, Cleveland has shown that they can have such a terrific night to outshoot one of the greatest teams ever assembled. So I'm going Golden State Warriors in a 4-0 sweep. Of course, you know, 
after a seven-game series two years ago, six-game series uh, three years ago, fell to a five-game series, and now we're falling down to a 4-0 sweep, and what I believe will be, you know, the end of this Cleveland-Golden State rivalry. Of course, it doesn't end necessarily in a seven-game thriller like we would all like to see it end in. Um, We got that a few years ago. Now it's kind of fizzed out, and, you know, Golden State's going to move on or become NBA champions with a 4-0 sweep. And because Cleveland doesn't get that one game, I can't give finals MVP to a guy who gets swept. Um, Of course, if that game three miracle happens, I'd be, you know, absolutely um, on board to giving LeBron finals MVP. But um, with that being said, I believe Steph Curry will get his first finals MVP. Um, It's been funny, you know, the first two times um, that Golden State won, you know, first one goes Andre Iguodala for guarding uh, Kevin Durant or guarding LeBron James. Um, and then this past year goes to Kevin Durant because, you know, average 31, I believe, in the series. Um, Steph Curry is the face of this team, the face of this franchise. Of course, he's not the great defender on this team, um, but he is, you know, the greatest shooter of all time um, at the point guard position. One of the best three-point shooters ever. And I think, that you know, I feel like he has a pretty good advantage against uh, this Cavaliers backcourt. J.R. Smith and George Hill not proven this season or in recent history that they're great defenders. I believe Steph, you know, will have a signature, you know, maybe he averages, put it out there, say 29, eight assists, maybe, you know, four rebounds or something like that. But I believe that'll be enough to get Curry his first finals MVP and one that is definitely deserving, uh, deserving, deservingly so after not being able to get finals MVP during their first few championships. So that'll wrap it up for our NBA talk for the day. But um, like I mentioned, we're going to have some NFL discussion today. I'm going to give you my list of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL going into next season. And, uh, you know, these are guys that maybe didn't finish as top five quarterbacks um, last year. A few of these guys got banged up towards the end of the season. Um, But undoubtedly, in in my opinion, um, there's about eight elite quarterbacks in the NFL Um, at any given time. Um, These five, I think, have a clear separation from not just, you know, the other three in that elite category, um, but the rest of the starters and reserves uh, in the NFL. Starting off at number five, and I feel like this might be the only one I really get a a decent amount of flack for. Um, I'm going with the number one overall pick from the 2009 NFL draft, Matthew Stafford, quarterback for the Detroit Lions. Um, You know, in my opinion, great quarterbacks don't necessarily ever have, you know, the Super Bowl rings or the, um, you know, the great playoff uh, numbers or the great playoff opportunities, great playoff wins. I think there is in the NBA, you have you can have guys like LeBron who one player means so much to a team that they're consistently in the championship in the NFL. While I do believe quarterback is the most important position, there are far too many other factors that, you know, hinder a quarterback's chance to make it to the Super Bowl all the time or to have postseason success, you know, while still being one of the best in the league. Um, So, you know, since 2011, he hasn't thrown below 4,200 passing yards. He has 216 career touchdowns. He has had, um, you know, 29 last year, uh, 32 back in 2015. He, to me, another big thing is um, availability. 
Uh, Matthew Stafford has played in all 16 regular season games since 2011. Um, And the biggest thing with Matt Stafford that, you know, I guess pisses me off when it comes into um, talking down on certain quarterbacks. And, you know, while you might think others are more valuable, like a Cam Newton or, um, you know, some other guys who have had more success in, you know, the postseason, stuff like that, is you don't look at the numbers around the quarterback, Um, you know. Matthew Stafford, for a short part of his career, had one of the greatest receivers of all time um, in uh, Calvin Johnson. Um, but aside from that, you know, never had, you know, amazing receiving course. Uh, you know, they did have a decent duo this past season. Um, tight end play has never been great. Eric Ebron, former first round pick, no longer on the team. He certainly did not pan out the way that um, Detroit thought that he would. They also, since Matt Stafford has been in the league, or I believe since the 2011 season, um, they haven't had a 1,000 yard rusher. Um, the you know quarterbacks can only do so much in the passing game, but they can't help the running game. And if you don't have the right running backs back there, you can't take pressure off the quarterback. You can't you know run the ball confidently in the second half when you have a lead. You know the pressure is always on a quarterback when there's no running game because you have to be good all four quarters of a football game. And of course it, that is something that is so tough to do. Um, a also, you know, when you don't have great coaching, you know, Matt Patricia is about to come in first time head coach. I believe that, you know, this is a positive turnaround for the franchise of Detroit, but coaching has been subpar at best, in my opinion, since Matt Stafford has been there. Um, and then you look at the defense, in my opinion, you know, they've never really had a great linebacking core. The secondary has been, eh, they have one guy in their secondary right now that I really like. Um, the pass rush has been okay. They have Ziggy Ansah, but nothing really that that really helps you, um, as a quarterback, because that that's what it comes down to as well as, as much as the running game. If you don't have a defense that can go out there and stop other offenses, then you're going to have to, you know, you're required to do too much as a quarterback and that, you know, sometimes you can't, and you, you shouldn't be expected to, you know, the football, the game of football is such a collaborative effort. And for all this pressure to be placed on one specific guy, and, you know, there's another guy on my list that fits that same or two other guys on the list that fit that same criteria. Um, Matthew Stafford goes underrated as one of the the best quarterbacks in football. Um, you know, he's one of the more aggressive quarterbacks, big bodied guy. He's, you know, more mobile than people think. He's a big guy. He's got a huge cannon of an arm, um, is an accurate thrower, goes a little underrated because he hasn't had, you know, amazing playoff success or, you know, Never had a team that, you know, went far in the playoffs to the Super Bowl. He doesn't have a running game. He doesn't have a defense. And up until this, you know, this upcoming year, he hasn't had great coaching. So I can't blame him for being drafted in the wrong situation. But Matt Stafford is a top five quarterback in the NFL. Moving on to number four. Of course, we just talked about Matt Stafford as the fifth best quarterback in football. Um, one spot ahead of him, and there might be a significant step between four and five. Um, I'll let you, you know, decide that for yourselves. Um, this one, I feel like I'm also going to get some shit for Tom Brady is the fourth best quarterback in football going into next season. Um, you know, (laughs) yes, he is the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. Um, I've said, you know, since day one on this podcast, there's a difference between being, being the greatest of all time and the most talented of all time. And um, that's why I have some of these other quarterbacks, um, these next three quarterbacks that I'll mention ahead of him. They are more fit in today's NFL than a Tom Brady is. Um, you know, back in Tom Brady's early days in his prime, 
it was, you know, easier as a quarterback if you weren't mobile. Um, you know, you could just stay in the pocket, be a great pocket passer, and that was what really made you an amazing quarterback. Nowadays, there's so much more into the game of, you know, offensive scheming and what you can do at the quarterback position. Um, you look at some of these guys across the league, even younger guys, um, you know, like a Jimmy Garoppolo, who is, I'll, I'll say it, he's not on my list of top five, but he could definitely enter in there soon. You know, he's a mobile guy, um, quick on his feet. Some of these other guys I'm going to mention soon are as well. Tom Brady isn't, you know, the NBA, the NFL is kind of um, turning over a new leaf where it's, you know, the, the RPO is about to take over the NFL. And if you've got a mobile quarterback, you're going to dominate this league, most likely. If you've got a mobile quarterback who is also an accurate thrower outside of the pocket, then you are, you know, destined for success um, as the NFL continues to move into this whole new phase. Tom Brady... I'll be honest with you, he's not a mobile quarterback. But, you know, talent alone puts him in this list of top five. Um, you know, he's coming off a season where he was, you know, among league leaders in 4,577 passing yards, 32 touchdowns to eight interceptions, threw for 286 yards a game, um, a quarterback rating of 102.8. He's the, he's the GOAT. He is the greatest of all time. And as much as I hate, as, as much as I love to hate on the New England Patriots, I can't say, I can't say that a five-time Super Bowl champion, three-time MVP, um, 13 Pro Bowler, um, three-time All-Pro, I, I can't say that he's not the greatest of all time. Um, but I will say, going into next season uh, at the age of 41, I think that there will be three other quarterbacks um, that are better than him. And as you know, the season goes on, there could be some, you know, other younger guys that make closer steps to being in that um, area with Tom Brady. Should he also, you know, take a step back in his career? Um, as much as you hate to hear it, if you're, you know, a Pats fan, sorry, hate to break it to you. Tom Brady is not a top three quarterback in the NFL next year, and you shouldn't expect him to be so at age 41. Moving our way into the middle of this list, and I don't care that he's 25 years old. I don't care that he's only been in the league for two years. Carson Wentz, quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, former number two overall pick, is the third best quarterback in football going into next season. And yes, I understand he is coming back from a torn ACL. You know, is he going to be ready day one? We sure hope so. I'd love to see. I always love to see the best players on the field um, at all times. Um... But Carson Wentz, by the time he is fully healthy, 100%, is undoubtedly, in my opinion, um, a top three quarterback in this league. And, you know, it's more into, you know, what I was saying with against Tom Brady is he fits the mold of a successful quarterback in today's NFL. He is big. He is mobile. He can throw on the run. He can throw from different angles. He can, you know, take pressure. He makes good reads. Um, he is, you know, consistent. Um, he's a leader in the locker room. He just, he fits the mold of a franchise quarterback and a franchise quarterback in 2018. Whereas, you know, Tom Brady, who I have just one spot below him, doesn't really fit the mold for a, a franchise quarterback in today's NFL. Um, of course, he's two years into the league. Um, and, you know, is it too early for me to say so? I don't think so. I believe that, you know, some people are really biting on their tongues, in my opinion, when they talk about Carson Wentz as, you know, being ahead of Tom Brady, or whenever I see anyone um, falter to say that Tom Brady 
isn't the best quarterback in the league. I think people are just nervous for all the backlash they get. I don't care what you guys think. I stick true to what I believe, what I see on the football field. And from what I see, Carson Wentz, number three, is a, a top three quarterback in the NFL and is going to be, you know, one of the dominating um, factors in professional football for the next decade, um, especially when he returns healthy on a Super Bowl roster like the Philadelphia Seven or Philadelphia Eagles. And now moving on to number two on my list, um, just ahead of Matt Stafford, Tom Brady, and Carson Wentz. Um, picked at number two, where's number three? Uh, Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson is a top two quarterback in the NFL. Um, and he kind of is, he's also fitting kind of the mold in a sense, um, to a lesser degree, in my opinion, um, as to what Matt Stafford has to go through in Detroit. Um, if you have listened to me on, uh, the Gold to Go podcast all this NFL season, I have, um, strongly ridiculed what is, you know, occurring in Seattle. You have your franchise quarterback, but you have, in my opinion, subpar coaching. You know, I think Pete Carroll, you know, was on his high horse after a few good years with Seattle and, you know, this amazing quarterback and a stud defense, but he's done a really poor job in finding ways to, you know, replenish the roster, get some youth in there, um, find some hidden gems, you know, late in the draft or in free agency. Um, so, you know, Russell Wilson has had to deal, in my opinion, with some poor coaching. He has had to deal with also one of the worst offensive schemes in football, um, only, you know, better than the next guy I'm going to mention, who I have at number one, um, one of the worst offensive lines in, you know, the last five years, uh, one of the most poor running games in football the last few years since Marshawn Lynch left, never really a stud number one wide receiver. I like Doug Baldwin. Um, last year they tried out at tight end, uh, God, what the hell's his name? Jimmy Graham, who is now with the Green Bay Packers. Um, and then, you know, the last few years, a, a pretty bad defense, you know, a banged up defense. Some of these older guys who, you know, were paid, you know, massively over the last few years because they did have dominant reigns. And I'm all for players getting their contracts. Um, I just believe that teams need to do a better job if they're going to pay a bunch of guys on one specific position or on one side of the ball to also find some younger guys to come in and kind of, you know, fill the holes and, you know, be prepared for when these older guys start to lose a step. And there really hasn't been that, you know, you've, you had a bunch of guys in Seattle for those, you know, few years that were like, okay, these are our household names. But what they failed to do was, you know, replenish the defense, um, especially in the front seven. You know, I don't think really they've done a good job managing, um, you know, the aging guys that, you know, they traded away Michael Bennett. Um, you know, they gave away uh, Richard Sherman to free agency. Uh, their safeties are getting old. You know, the defense is a mess. The running game is a mess. The offensive line is a mess. The coaching is poor. Yet, over the last two years, Russell Wilson has a combined record of 19, 12, and 1. And then if you look even you know earlier into the last three years, he is 29 um, and 18. Um, and you know the, that might not be the most amazing numbers, 11 games over 500 in his last five, uh, three years. But to imagine what he's doing in, you know, the NFC, which is far more competitive, in my opinion, than the AFC, um, it, it just is is remarkable. You know, a, uh, he has a career quarterback rating of 98.9, which I believe is in the top four or top three um, of, you know, NFL quarterbacks throughout the history of the league. Um, you know, he does it on the run. Uh, he has uh, piled up, let's see, in uh, rushing, he has over 3,200 rushing yards. 
Um, he has 16 rushing touchdowns. He does it all for Seattle. He is their best runner. Uh, he is, you know, their quarterback. He is the leader for that team. Um, because, you know, they've fallen off the past few years, I don't think he gets the recognition. I believe, you know, people still, you know, consider him a top five quarterback. But when you're looking at how things are broken down and, you know, you look at the teams or the coaching staffs that, you know, the Eagles and the Patriots have around Carson Wentz and Tom Brady, that helps them um, become a lot more successful. Whereas the situation Russell Wilson is in, I'm, I trust me, I get, you know, they were a few years ago, they were, you know, in Super Bowls, winning Super Bowls. That's not the same team that's here now. It is far more worse, far less superior. Um, and with that being gone, Russell Wilson is still doing the best he can to make this team relevant. And for that is definitely the second best quarterback in the NFL going into next season. And of course, at number one, this should come as no surprise to any of you. Um, discount double check, number 12 for the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, the greatest quarterback in football going into next season. Um, you know, just looking at some of the numbers, he has uh, the highest career passing rating of any quarterback in the NFL, um, in NFL history, actually, at 103.8. Um, the next highest is actually Russell Wilson at 98.6. Um, so, you know, those two guys, um, coincidence or not, are the top two in my ranking, but are also the top two um, in NFL history at, at, with a career passing, uh, career passer rating. He has a 1.6 interception percentage, which is the best mark by any quarterback in NFL history, um, ahead of Tom Brady and Colin Kaepernick. Uh, despite, you know, just being, you know, in a nine or 10 seasons as starting quarterback, uh, he ranks in the top 20 in NFL history in passing yards, passing touchdowns, and passing touchdown percentage, um, which is a measure of touchdowns thrown when attempting to pass. Um, aside from the 2013 season, the Packers, they haven't had a top 10 rushing offense in the NFL and have ranked 17th or worse in six years since Rodgers took over the starting job. And uh, when looking at the defense, they did rank second best and fifth best in total defense in the regular seasons of 2009 and 2010, but they've had zero appearances in that top 10 since then. Um, they've had four seasons when they've ranked 21st or worst, um, and they also had the 26th best defense um, in the NFL this past season. Uh, you know, Rodgers, you know, I guess that, that was more of a claim to his greatness all time, but looking into next season, um, coming back fully healthy, you know, of course the Packers um, didn't make the playoffs because he missed, you know, half the season or a little over half the season um, with Green Bay. He just, it, those numbers show alone that he has, you know, done the most with the least. I have been very critical of Mike McCarthy and that coaching staff. Um, they have one of the more basic NFL schemes um, in the NFL currently. Um, that defense, of course, was another kind of situation, not as great as the Seattle Seahawks, but they had some studs. They paid them big, and then they didn't do a good job in finding talent to replenish the roster. Um, offensive line has been okay, but they've lost a few guys in the last few years. Running game has been terrible. I think that they've never had really had a great receiving core. I think, you know, Jordy Nelson, uh, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb are all good receivers, but I think... <laughs> just, you know, Aaron Rodgers' ability to place the ball so perfectly um, kind of raises their uh, assumed level of talent. I, I don't really believe that that um, is, you know, more of the receivers. I think that comes directly from Aaron Rodgers and his greatness. Um, 
And then going into next season, you know, he's got a new weapon in Jimmy Graham. Hopefully they can fix the running game. Um, but even if they don't, you know, Aaron Rodgers will lead this Packers team to the playoffs if he's healthy for a full season. And when you're able to do that with as poor of a coaching staff as they had, as, you know, banged up of a defense as they've had in the past few years with a poor running game, they don't have Jordy Nelson anymore. Um, Aaron Rodgers, what he's capable to do it day in and day out, he is the greatest quarterback in all of football. Um, if you look at uh, New England, in my opinion, if you put him at the starting job in New England um, instead of Tom Brady, they're 7-0 and in Super Bowls throughout Tom Brady's career instead of 5-2. and um, I just believe that there are so many different things that Aaron Rodgers is capable of doing on a football field. Um, he is more mobile than Tom Brady. Um, he would fit the offensive scheme of Josh McDaniels much greater, um, which, you know, is, is a great thing to think about. You know, if Aaron Rodgers was able to get out of Green Bay any day and head over to any of these great offensive minds, you know, you look um, Josh McDaniels in New England, Sean McVay uh, in the with the Rams, and Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers. Of course, they all have their franchise quarterbacks. So, you know, that's, you know, not going to happen. Um, if he was there, the league wouldn't stand a chance. It would be all Aaron Rodgers, all that great offensive mind, and they would win the Super Bowl, in my opinion. Um, he just, he, he's able to pinpoint or just, he's one of the more accurate throwers I've ever seen. And from any angle, you know, he's there's the back shoulder throws, the across the body throws, he can do it all. And he always gets his, he makes his receivers open. You know, he finds, he, he's able to place the ball in the one spot that receivers um, have the ability to catch the ball at. And, you know, in my opinion, going into next year, he has to undoubtedly be considered the best quarterback in football. Um, and I'm sorry if you disagree, but, you know, frankly, you're wrong. Uh, so that'll wrap up my top five ranking. Five, Matthew Stafford. Like it or not, he's in a similar situation. Poor coaching, poor defense, no rushing game. Does enough for that team to make them, you know, playoff viable top five quarterback Tom Brady at number four sorry if you don't think he's high enough uh getting up there in age not really fitting the future um mold for the NFL number three Carson Wentz yes he's young but he's mobile he's big he's athletic he can do it all he's got a good offensive scheme um around him future you know franchise quarterback dominating the NFL for the next decade number two Russell Wilson um doing what Matt Stafford does but at a much higher level um poor running game worse offensive line uh, banged up defense, old defense, poor coaching staff still makes them relevant. Um, number two quarterback. And then of course, Aaron Rodgers. all that I've mentioned, um, one of the worst rushing games, um, worst defenses, poor coaching staff, poor offensive scheme still, you know, they have to be considered a playoff threat and, you know, a super bowl threat if he's on the field. Um, so that is my top five quarterbacks going into next season. Uh, we've been running a little long this episode, but I'm just going to preview a few things that we're going to start next week. Um, I'm out of town starting <clears throat> tomorrow, so I will not have a Friday episode out, but we'll be back on Monday. Um, I'm going to start doing some deep dives into NFL teams as we prepare for the next NFL season. Um, you know, listing a bunch of things. We'll have some guests on for, you know, talking about specific teams, but that will have to wait till next week. Um, of course, you know, we'll be able to talk, uh, NBA finals games one and two. Hopefully the Cavs can steal a game before then. Um, you know, you can check me out at, uh, Blake Andrew Pace on Twitter. Uh, contact me, email me at blakeandrewpace at gmail.com. Always, uh, down to hear what you have to say about the show, any ideas, tips moving forward, stuff you'd like to, for me to talk about. Um, I'm gonna let this music play out and, uh, we will catch you on Monday. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Take care guys.